Uh, let me ask you uh, to find Matthew 25 in your copy of the Scripture. I'm going to bring a message related to Labor Day weekend and talking about our labor for the Lord. The parable of the talents, as it's commonly called. And we'll be looking at the subject matter, laboring faithfully for the master. Laboring faithfully for the master. I will be reading this morning from the New Living Translation, the NLT. Uh, It says this parable in just such a practical and, and powerful way. So I will be changing up from what I normally do this morning with the ESV. Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness. Where there will be weeping and gnashing. Of teeth. Father, you tell us that he who has ears to hear, let him hear what your spirit says to the church 
Open our eyes, open our ears this morning. And Lord, on this weekend where the nation is celebrating Labor Day, may we consider our labor for you. I think what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that we're to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Lord, we know that what we do for ourselves or for the things of this world will ultimately be in vain. What we do for Christ will last. May we be faithfully laboring for the Master. In His name we pray. Amen. The truth of the matter is that we are all stewards. Every single one of us is a steward of everything that we've been given. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about that in 1 Corinthians 4. He said, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Moving on in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. How did the Apostle Paul live his life? He lived his life as a steward. Whatever happened to him, he lived for the glory of God and he lived for the sake of the gospel. Now folks, this parable here enlarges on the previous parable. The previous parable had to do with readiness. And the question was, are you prepared to meet Jesus? He may be later than we think in coming back. He may be sooner than we think in coming back. Either way, Jesus pointed out in chapter 24 of Matthew's gospel that he will come at an unexpected time. And when he comes, people will be busy about their lives. They will be marrying and giving in marriage. Just like in the days of Noah, Christ said. The folks in Noah's day, though they had been warned, they had absolutely no idea of the date until it happened. They were busy about their lives. 
God was apparently not even in their thoughts when you go back and read the account in the book of Genesis. And all of a sudden, one day it started raining and it was too late. Now just imagine how that must have been. A man comes in from the fields. His wife says, honey, you're in early today. He says, it started raining so hard. I had to put the oxen and the mules up. I sent all the helpers home early. There's no way we can get much done in the fields that today. The next day, he and his wife are surprised. The rain hasn't let up. Pretty soon, he and the neighbors grow concerned about their fields flooding. By the end of the week, they're really concerned. But little do they know, it's too late. It's the end. Life suddenly went from working on the farm to now, uh uh-oh, we're in trouble. And nobody saw anything like that coming. And Jesus says that's exactly how it is going to be when Christ returns. When he returns, there will be no time to get ready. There will be no second chances. Either you're ready or you're not and the door will be shut. But this parable enlarges on that still further. It defines for us a little bit more what readiness entails. Readiness consists of being busy about the master's work until he returns. Being ready doesn't just mean that we sit back back passively and just twiddle our thumbs. Those who know the Lord are to be about the Lord's business. Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Folks, works are not the root of our salvation, but works are the fruit of our salvation. Remember what the Apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians? He said to the Thessalonians that their lives gave every evidence that they had been touched By the grace of God and they had been converted. And he said the way you live now compared to how you used to live tells that powerful story. That you've been changed by the grace of God. A steward can't be passive. The fact of the matter is one day every single one of us will stand, personally stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll have to give an account. Now, folks, that means that we don't ever gauge our work by what others around us are doing. Everyone will have to give an account of themselves. Let's see how that comes to play in this text. First of all, this morning I want you to see that each believer has individually been gifted. Look at verse 14 again. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. The master gave out talents. It was a sacred trust. The word trust here or the fact that he entrusted to them his money refers today to making somebody your power of attorney. When you make somebody your power of attorney, all of the assets, all of the possessions are still yours. 
But the person who has the power of attorney has a great deal of say-so in how those assets are used. And that's what the master did here in this story. It's risky. But that's exactly what he's entrusted to us. Now, a talent was a large sum of money. Don't think of it being uh, something small. And don't think of a talent as having the ability to do something like juggle flaming swords at a local circus. That's not what he's talking about at all. A talent was a sum of money, a very large sum of money. Even one talent was very substantial. In fact, it was a 20-year salary for a common everyday worker making minimum wage. One talent, 20 years. Based on North Carolina's minimum wage for a 40-hour work week times 52, we're talking about being handed $301,301,600. So we're not talking about pocket change here. And oftentimes... Talents were paid out in silver. The NLT gets it very accurate when it talks about bags of silver. But while a talent is a sum of money, it's clear that Jesus is just giving an analogy here. The talent is an analogy for all that we have. Our money, yes but also our abilities, our spiritual gifts. It's an analogy of everything you and I have been blessed with. And because even one talent was extremely valuable, I think there's a hint here at just how valuable a talent from God really is. Folks, we dare not play with the things of God. The things of God are priceless. All we have is from God. What do we have that we didn't receive? Nothing. Nothing. James in James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom are no shifting shadows. God continually provides good things For his children. And even the abilities that we have to serve him. We're nothing without him. Just think of how blessed you are. Think about everything you are. Everything you have. And how all of it. Is to be invested. For kingdom purposes. Every one of us. Tomorrow, Labor Day. It's ironic that we celebrate Labor Day by taking the day off from labor. But think about our labor for for the Lord. We've all been given the ability and opportunity as disciples of Jesus Christ to be entrusted with a share of his kingdom's work. Every believer has been individually called to do this in some way. Secondly, I want you to see this morning that every believer has been given something unique that is suited for them. Look at verse 15. 
He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. There are different responsibilities based on one's abilities. God knows exactly how he's made you. We are not all given the musical abilities of a Bach or a Beethoven or the inventive genius of an Edison. Nor are we all leaders like Lee Iacocca was. Folks, when you look at people and you consider people, it's it's amazing how different people are. When God saves a man or a woman, the spiritual giftedness he gives to that person may may fall in line with the strengths that they've had all their lives, or it may be different. It's amazing to me the number of pastors who will tell you that growing up, they never ever saw themselves getting up and speaking in front of anybody. They couldn't do that. And yet here they are today. That may be how your spiritual gift is. It it doesn't line up with what you thought about your life when you were growing up. Or it may be that God uses an ability that's been seen way in the past in your life. Maybe in, in different circles, different groups that you ran with, you were always the leader. And now God's given you the gift of leadership to use for Him. But regardless, notice in the parable that the master didn't didn't put on any one servant more than that servant could handle. That would have been very frustrating. God knows you and me intimately. And he's given you and me exactly what he wants you to have to use for his glory. And folks, there's nothing at all wrong with the fact that one guy just got one talent. The master knew him, the master respected him, and he gave that servant only what he knew that servant could handle and he wouldn't be overwhelmed with. So there's nothing wrong with being a one-talent kind of person. In fact, it seems like there's more of those in the world than five-talent people. I want you to think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about spiritual gifts that could be included in talents that he's given us today. Every one of us at the moment we were saved were given a spiritual gift. The spiritual gift is not for you. It's for the body of Christ. The spiritual gift is... To be used along with all the other gifts. God's designed his body so that you put all the gifts together and and we make a stronger body. We're able to do God's work for God's glory. And nobody can diminish their gift and nobody can diminish the gift that somebody else is given. All of the gifts are important. In fact, Paul says sometimes the gifts behind the scene that people don't see, the gifts that people have where attention is not called to them, it's those gifts, when you get down to it, that are more critical for the operation of the church. So all of the gifts are important. The Lord providentially gives the gifts according to His will. And again, we put them all together and great work is done. 
So again, don't neglect your gift if you're a one-talent kind of person. But you know, it may be the opposite problem. You may have so much. God may have blessed you with so much. You, you don't quite know what to do with all of it. How do you use everything? A couple of years ago, I gave you a story that was in the news about St. Mary's United Methodist Church in St. Mary's, Georgia. William Bailey, every single year, gave $100,000 to that church. And what was so significant about that, the annual church budget was $300,000. Well, on July 14th of the year 2000, at the age of 88, William Bailey passed away. It was to nobody's surprise that St. Mary's was in the will. But what was a shock was the amount of money that was left to this small congregation. There was stunned silence when Reverend Derek McClear broke news to the congregation that the man who owned 49% of the region's Camden Telephone Company had left the small congregation $60 million. Immediately, news of this went nationwide. Within a matter of days, the church's mailbox is just being bombarded with letters and different kind of requests. It was so much money, the pastor got up and he said, How do we remain a Christian church? He was concerned what that much money would do to him. It wasn't a matter of what to do with a little bit, of, with one talent. What do you do with five talents that's this much? Of course, they got busy. And they set up different task force and teams. And it is amazing how that church, every month and every year, is putting that money to work in that region of the country. What to do with a big amount? That may be your challenge. Charles Spurgeon preached to 10,000 people every single week. And back in the days, obviously before computers, there would be transcribers who would copy Charles Spurgeon's sermons and they distributed 25,000 copies of his sermons every single week. Well, at a conference one time, a young preacher walked up to Charles Spurgeon and, and was complaining about how Spurgeon preached to so many and he preached to so few. Spurgeon said, how many is in your congregation? He said, a hundred. And Spurgeon said, young man, a hundred on the day of judgment is plenty to have to give an account for. We're not all given the same gifts. Each believer has something unique for them. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, uh, Kevin Seeger has a file on hand with some inventory, spiritual gift inventories. Those aren't perfect. They're, they're very helpful as you take that test and it examines your life and how you do things and how you're put together. And you know what? It's amazing how accurate those inventories are. But beyond an, an inventory, pray about it. Talk to others. What do they affirm you doing? 
What, what do you enjoy doing? You think, you see, I don't think God's going to put something on you to do that you just wake up every day absolutely hating to do that. God's given you something unique just for you. And just like your stewardship in the business world, at school, in the marketplace, however, you're to be a steward with what God's given you. Thirdly, in the master's absence, we're to use what, what he has given for his glory. Look at verse 16. The servant who received the five talents of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Folks, there are choices before us. We can be wasteful or we can be uh, fruitful. We can be productive for the master or we can be lazy. We can be good stewards or we can waste and squander away everything that we've been given. What are you doing with your gifts? Are you using them or burying them? And you know, somehow or another, time marches on, doesn't it? And, and with time, opportunities come and go. What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your resources? What are you doing with your talents? We're to be wise. Jesus told another parable about a guy, a steward. And he had been unfaithful. And his master called him to give an account because he said, I I hear you're corrupting what I've, I've given you. And immediately that servant got scared and went out and started doing various things. So he could return something to the master. And and in the end, the master praised him. And Jesus said, you know, sometimes the children of this world are wiser than the children of the kingdom. Be a wise steward. A commercial one time, a fictional a story, a little, little funny thing. Before going to Europe on, on business, a certain man drove his Rolls Royce to a downtown New York City bank, went in to ask for a loan of $5,000. The loan officer taken back, requested collateral. The man replied, here's the keys to my Rolls Royce. They immediately pulled the Rolls Royce into the garage of the, of the bank, gave him $5,000. Two weeks later, the man walked through the doors back into the bank to get his car back. And the bank officer said $5,000 in principal, uh, $15.40 in interest, and the loan officer said that, uh, he said, I got a question for you. With all of your millions of dollars, why in the world did you need a loan for $5,000? That's pocket change to you. And in this story, the man said, Sir, where else could I park my Rolls Royce in New York City for two weeks for $15.40? I said fictional. It's actually told as a true story, but I wondered if that's one of those urban legends. But anyway, in the master's absence, we are to use what he's entrusted to us. We're to be wise stewards, and some are wiser than others. 
But think about it, folks. Between the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ, what are we to be doing? We're to be busy about the Great Commission. We're to be busy about the Master's work. Lastly, we shall all give an account as to what we've done with that which the Master has entrusted to us. Notice the scripture says here, after a long time, the master returned. Folks, isn't that an interesting phrase? After a long time. You see, the early church thought Jesus was going to return pretty much within their lifetimes. In fact, at Thessalonica, you had some folks who were actually selling off all of their assets and going outside the city and the country, sitting up on hillsides, looking up at the sky and praying and waiting. And they became a burden on the church because since they had liquidated everything, the church was having to take care of them. And so the apostle Paul wrote to them about that and said, listen, if a man won't work, he won't eat. And he told them about how we're to stay busy, we're to stay fruitful. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus hinted at the fact that his second coming would be after a long time. Where the gospel has had the opportunity to go around the world. You have to wonder why the disciples didn't pick up on that. I mean, if the gospel is going to go around the globe, you've got to assume that there's going to be a pretty long period of time in order for something like that to be able to happen. Somehow they missed it. Jesus told a parable, though, about the ten virgins and the delay. They all got weary and began to sleep, waiting on the bridegroom to show up. Today, every now and then, you hear these doomsday groups selling off everything, start looking at the sky. Now, folks, make no mistake about it. We are to be looking for the Lord's return. The Bible points out if we are looking expectantly, that will indeed Make a difference with how we live our lives. You know the problem today, I think? Church isn't looking anymore. We're just not looking. We're just busy doing our own thing, not looking anymore. We're assuming we've got the rest of the, the day today and tomorrow and next week, next month, next year. We've just got busy doing our own thing. But folks, one of these days, he's going to return. You know, some people even count on the fact that they, they can be like the thief on the cross. I've had people talk to me before like, Pastor, I'm not going to worry about becoming a Christian right now. I've, ha- I've had people talk to me this way. Not many, but a few. I've got time. You know what, Pastor? Before I die... I'll get saved. And somebody will bring up the thief on the cross. Hey, thief on the cross, he was about to die and the Lord accepted him. I'm going to kind of live my life and right at the end, I'm going to become a Christian. I'll be fine. But think about it. You don't know when your day will be. You might walk into a restaurant today and folks, this is not fear-mongering because things like this happen. I mean, think about what's happened this weekend. And we have a lady in our congregation. This happened to her first husband. 
He walked into a restaurant one day down in Alabama. A gunman walked in, started killing people, and her first husband was one of the ones murdered. Susie and Glenn Honeycutt. It was Susie, her first husband. You don't know what a day holds for you. And when he comes, the Bible says we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll have to give an account. Notice how faithfulness is rewarded here. It's rewarded with commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Imagine hearing that from the Lord Jesus. And along with the commendation, reward carries with it an opportunity of greater responsibility. God blesses those who have been responsible stewards. If you've been responsible with what you already have, He gives you more. Folks in heaven, we're not going to be bored. And listen, our responsibilities in heaven are going to depend on our faithfulness here. You know, people tend to think heaven's going to be a never-ending Sunday morning worship service. We sing a million stanzas of amazing grace and the preacher will never sit down and shut up. What do you think we're going to be doing in heaven? I think heaven is going to be a place where we are constantly fascinated with being there. It's not going to be dull. I think it's going to be a place of constant discovery and constant challenges. But challenges and discoveries and work without the presence of sin... Without the weakness of human flesh, because we'll have a glorified body and no Satan there. But constant discovery. Folks, I realize you've got to be careful here. The last thing I want to communicate to anybody is a works righteousness. That would be flat out unbiblical. But without saying that, the Bible at the same time points out that your judgment and your reward will be in proportion to your faithfulness And that it will matter to you in that day. Sometimes people say, you know, just so long as I get in by my bootstraps and have a little shack in the corner, that's going to be good enough for me. I'll be there. But every passage in the Bible that talks about the judgment, it matters. And again, notice how things are proportionate. The two-talent guy, for example, was rewarded because of what he did with two talents, not five talents. He received equal commendation. A different reward, but equal commendation. He was not told, well, the guy with five talents did such and such. Why didn't you? Folks, here's another problem today. People want reward without service. They want the crown without the cross. Today, everybody wants to get the trophy.
It doesn't work that way. Too many Christians are sitting back doing little or nothing, thinking they're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and it's not going to happen. Notice the guy with one. He must have viewed to some degree his master's work with a, a certain element of contempt. It just wasn't a priority with him. Let me just stick it in the ground, lay it aside, and, and he'll get back what he gave me. By the way, this was a very common way in Israel in the ancient world. The, the king's highway between Egypt and the big kingdoms of the Mesopotamian area to the east of Israel... The king's highway and different highways cut right through Israel. And oftentimes there would be raiding bands of, of robbers and armies come through and raid homes and take everything. It was pretty common to go out and, and dig a hole in the ground and hide your valuables there. Very common. But this guy shows a certain contempt for the master's instructions before the master went on the journey. The master gave out talents with purpose, but what mattered to the master didn't matter to this guy. He had other things to do. He had his life to live. And then when he realizes on judgment day what's going on, he begins to make excuses. He's full of excuses, but his excuse was even more condemning. He knew the master reaps where the master didn't sow. And that's a picture of God's grace. God can reap a harvest in the most unlikely of circumstances. Folks, that's not reason to quit and be lazy. That's reason to be all the more diligent. Because he, he's the master who can bring about a phenomenal harvest out of something we don't even realize he can do. That's reason to be busy about his business. It's not reason to sit down. He says, I was afraid. He didn't do anything bad with his master's money. He simply did nothing. He did nothing at all. Folks, it's not enough to simply return to the Lord what he's given you. He expects some type of increase. He's gifted you. But what are you doing with that gift to grow it, to increase it? He expects that. And he should. Because he's blessed us with his Holy Spirit to guide us and strengthen us. And he's given us his word. And he's given us one another. And capabilities today, the first century church would have never dreamed the church today would have. This guy was in the crowd, you might say. He was given opportunity. He did nothing. And what was Jesus' assessment of him? Jesus said, you wicked and slothful servant. He lost everything in the judgment. But he not only lost his talent, but notice what Jesus said. This is one of those hard sayings of Jesus. Take this servant, cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a commentary on James 2. Faith without works is dead. 
It is faith that saves. I want to be clear on that. It is faith that saves. But it is works that demonstrates the reality of our faith. This guy showed he didn't really believe the master. He did nothing. He was cast out. He was in the crowd. But he was cast out. It's easy to say, I'm a Christian. It's easy to make a profession of faith. And professions of faith are very important. Professions of faith are commanded in Scripture. Things like we saw this morning with baptism, commanded in Scripture. But folks, do our lives reflect the fact that we really do believe the Master and we've been changed? Or do we just pretend to take what He's given us and just go on about our lives as though nothing about the Master matters? What's that show on Judgment Day? According to this, it may show that you weren't ever the masters to begin with. It's not that he had it and lost it. He never had it. Because his life demonstrated that. What's your life demonstrate? Does your life demonstrate the reality that you've been redeemed, that you've been changed, that you've been converted? You know, the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Does your life reflect that? How about the fruit of the Spirit? Is that evident in your life? Putting a priority on working for the Master. Different priorities now. Different purpose and mission with your life. Does your life show that? I trust that it does. And you know what? If it does, that's great encouragement. You can look back on your life, how you were before coming to Christ and since becoming Christ. You see that difference. You see that change and how your whole mindset's changed. It's a, it's a great assurance that God's done a work of grace in you. But likewise, if your life doesn't show any of that, it's at least a reason To be examining yourself. Paul told the Corinthians that. 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves to make sure you're really in the faith. Doesn't hurt to do that. Do you see God's fingerprints in your life? Do you see evidence? Change in priority. Change in focus. Change in mission. Change in purpose. You're different now. Great evidence of faith. Let's pray together. And as we pray, do you need to come to Christ today repenting of sin and trusting Him and Him alone for salvation? Is that your need today? To come to Christ. I'll be down front to pray with you.
Both Kevins will be down front to pray with you. How about the stewardship, the talent that God's given you and the stewardship of that? Are you investing that wisely? Again, I'm not talking about just money. What are you doing with everything God's blessed you with to use between now and when He comes back? Are you a steward of all that? You're going to have to give an account one day, and I'm going to have to give an account one day. And you'll be responsible for what you've done. I'll be responsible for what I've done. Maybe in the long delay of the return of Christ, you've gotten lazy. You've lost your focus. Maybe you've started living for yourself and the things of the world. Get your priorities back and your life back where it needs to be. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to your people. Lord, those who can look and see that change in them and change of focus and see your thumbprints on their lives every day. What a blessed assurance. Lord, we know we're not saved by works, but when somebody's saved by faith, their works ought to show it. And Lord, where that's true, I pray that that'd be a great encouragement to somebody here today, that they could look back and see that change. And they see it every day. They're not the same man now. They're not the same woman that they used to be. Lord, what an encouragement to that person. Help them to keep growing, keep serving. Lord, the one who can look at their life and just honestly never see evidence of true faith. Lord, convict them of that today. Draw them to Christ. Change them. Lord, as the nation celebrates Labor Day, may we think about our labor for you and what it shows about our lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.